Hi, I'm Jennifer Ackerman Haywood, and you're listening to the Craft Sanity Podcast. This show is all about art, craft, and creativity, and I produce it weekly in the hope that it will help all of us live long and crafty lives. and welcome to another episode of Craft Sanity. It's great to be here. I'm really excited about this week's show. Today I'm going to bring you an interview with Laura Bazard. She is a fantastic handbag designer out in Seattle, Washington. Laura listens to the show and would send me these great suggestions for other people to interview. Finally, as I was going through my email, I clicked on the link back to her website and thought, geez, well, she's recommending some fabulous people, but... She's pretty fabulous, too. <laughs> I sent Laura a note and said, you know, thanks for all these suggestions, but, you know, I'd really like to interview you. So one thing led to another, and we have a show out of this. So the cool thing about Laura's approach to the handbag business that she runs is that she specializes in custom orders and custom work. So her shop sounds like just this fabulous place. I haven't been able to get there yet since, oh, there's a little distance between Grand Rapids, Michigan, and... Seattle, Washington, but I hope someday to visit because she hosts really fun purse parties where you can come in with a group of friends and pick out all your fabrics and select the shape of the purse you want to have. Then Laura's fabulous team of stitchers sit down and sew those bags. And it's really cool because it's a working studio. So if you come in and you're looking around, you can actually see people working on handbags while you're there. It's just such a great concept for a store. So today she's going to take us behind the scenes and tell us how she got it started, how she keeps it going, and what it's like to be running a fabulous crafty business. So I think you're really going to enjoy this. And she has some really great advice. And you can't listen to this episode and not learn something because Laura has been so generous with the information that she's, she shares in this episode. So I think you're going to find it really helpful if you're in the crafty business or if you're thinking about starting one. After the show, be sure to check out craftsanity.com for links to Laura's website, her blog, and also a very special project this week that she has contributed to Craft Sanity. I will be posting a PDF download for you. It's called Create Your Own Color Story, and what Laura has done is put down in just two pages a really great tutorial of how to make color selections so you can plan out your project and map things out a little bit visually and go to the craft store or the fabric store with a little bit of a plan in mind so you won't be as overwhelmed by all the color and all the choices you can make because I know I've gone in stores and not had a real concrete plan I'm usually flying by the seat of my pants and I come back with fabric that just doesn't really go together so I have to go back and get more and the design process just takes twice as long so you know I love this project because she gives you an idea that you can pull inspiration from everywhere she uses flowers as an example so it's really fantastic so check that out okay so without further ado I'm gonna let Laura tell her story I'm so glad you contacted me. I'm really impressed with what you guys do. And it's Laura B. Designs. That's right. And you are the owner, creator. That's You're right. Laura B. You I'm know? Laura B. <laughs> and my, my real last name, Bizarre, is so difficult to pronounce and tricky for people that Laura B. works much better. How long ago did you come up with the whole concept of Laura B. Designs? Well, I started the business about five and a half years ago. And I didn't 
you know, start out with an exact plan of what I wanted to do. It's kind of evolved over time. But I had always done business pretty much my whole life. And so when it came time to actually put a shingle out or, you know, sell, some, sell something that I made, handbags kind of were a, a natural thing to sell. I've always made them and people like them. And so I just started out doing a, like a farmer's market selling them. And then it's kind of grown from there. The customization part of what I do is something that's... Um, that I just realized I couldn't make enough inventory for people mm-hmm. to choose from. And people really like the idea of choosing fabrics and being involved in the design process. So that's been something that I've just continued to build on uh, over time. So, you know, you read books and they say, have a business plan and figure it all out and figure out your financing and that kind of stuff. And I didn't do that at all. <laughs> so it's worked without that. But, you know, sometimes I feel like, oh, I skipped some steps there. Yeah. But, well, I think a lot of creative types are kind of bored a little bit by the whole business side of things, right. you know. And But that's the thing is to be successful, you have to do both. And it sounds like you've grounded yourself in reality where you didn't just put, you know, buy a building, you know, and say, okay, I'm right. going to make some stuff and fill this up and try to sell it. I want to kind of backtrack. So five and a half years ago, when you came up with this Laura B. Designs concept, what were you doing before? Like, let's trace this back to your creative roots. Like when, I know you have this lovely picture, darling picture of yourself on the website. Yeah, I was so excited when I found that. You have this great picture of you with this little, is it a toy sewing machine? A little baby toy sewing machine. It actually didn't really work that well. But yeah, I have really wonderful memories of uh, my grandmother and other family friends teaching me how to sew. And I'm really thankful because I think that a lot of people don't have that anymore more sewing is becoming popular. Yeah, again, it is. But there was a whole period where people, like my mom didn't really sew. She knows how to sew, but um, she didn't have time. And she's actually a painter, so she was focused on other things. But my grandmother, I remember when I visited her in the summertime, once we went and bought fabric, and I bought this navy blue fabric with little whales all over it. And I made a little drawstring um, elastic waist skirt, and uh, she taught me how to press and pin and all those things, and uh, I really loved it at the time. And actually, my mom enrolled me in weaving classes. I know you're a weaver. Yeah, um, I love weaving. And so I just, the idea of textiles and fabric and materials, I've just always really enjoyed. So so I kind of have, in my childhood, I went back and forth from sewing. Sometimes I didn't do any sewing. And then, um, like, in the 80s, I made some really atrocious tops that I used to wear to school. um, (laughs) You know, goofy, like, purple and pink and just crazy colors. I haven't really taken a lot of sewing classes, but I, like I said, I had some basics from my grandmother and a family friend, and then I've just kind of played around, and I'm pretty much self Wow, and that's so. fantastic. Definitely. You had a creative childhood. You know, you made things, and you made your own clothes. Um, <laughs> do you still yeah, do that? Yeah. Make your own clothes? Actually, you know, I'd gotten away from making clothing for a really long time, and then this past summer, I decided I wanted to make some skirts, which was um, interesting to do after sewing kind of professionally for a while. I, I'm better at it now than I used to be, I think, or I don't know, my, my thought process is a little different. So I copied a skirt pattern that I liked, a skirt that I have actually, and I made like five skirts. So that's been good, but fitting and, and dealing with projects that take a really long time, that's not my forte. I like things that I can finish. Okay. In a and so that's why so. you stick to handbags. I really admire people who make clothes because really hard work and to get things to hang correctly on the, in the body is a totally different thing than making bags. Because bags are really about function of mm-hmm. carrying things and structure and aesthetics, so the whole other way of thinking. So yeah, but my, anyway, so to get back to my creative roots, my mother—I give a lot of credit to her because she has an MFA in painting, and she's an amazing painter and, and great at drawing. Two skills I don't really have, but I was just always around that creative 
sort of energy, and she really encouraged that in me. And she taught art classes in my house to adults, so I would come home from high school, and there would be her class, you know, and I would say hi. And so I think she's really good at bringing out that kind of desire to express yourself creatively and be really good at it and fine-tune your skills from the, you know, from when I was very young. So, uh, And then my dad is a lawyer, and he always had his own business and his own practice, so I kind of, from him, get that entrepreneurial. Oh, wow. So, yeah, you have people that you can ask. And do you do that? Do you ask your parents you know, for advice on business stuff or art stuff? Some. I mean, um, they've both been really supportive and you know, interested in really different aspects of what I do. Do I ask them for advice? I guess I run things past them, yeah. You know, sometimes it's when you, when you have parents who, are really, who really excel and are great at things, sometimes you also want to have your own thing that you make your own decisions to. Of course yeah. you do. And they live back east. I grew up in western New York, so we're really far away. So a lot of it's by phone and internet and when they visit it's really fun to show them what's happening yeah it's probably just so such a sense of pride for them to see mm -hmm. how their daughter has moved so far away and, and carved out a whole life like a, just a fantastic physical presence of a store and i understand you're expanding yeah and i'm yeah. getting and i'm getting way ahead of myself because we're okay. skipping <laughs> over yeah i'm really excited to talk about your current business the nitty-gritty but before we get that far i want you know i want to hear a little more about okay. okay so you you have parents are supportive and you kind of grew up doing a lot of art and crafty things things as a kid. And then what did you do after high school? I went to college and I was actually, I went to a liberal arts college and I was an English major. What college did you go to? The Vassar College in Poughkeepsie. New York. Okay. Okay. And um, so in, my college is about an hour and a half north of New York City or was, you know, when I was there, I was an hour and a half north. So I'd take the train down, go look at art in the Metropolitan Museum of Art and just I took a lot of art history classes, even though I was an English major. And, and I took a lot of film classes too. So being in that kind of really creative part of the country was amazing. Actually, more in hindsight now, I look back and I think, oh my gosh, how lucky I was. I could, you know, I was writing a paper in art history and I could just go down and take the train and go to the museum and see the painting or the piece of sculpture in person. So mm -hmm. that That's wonderful. And of course, when I was in college, I was an English major and I thought I'd be a journalist. So I worked on the school newspaper. I was at their school newspaper. And actually looking back, I think that's one reason why I really liked having a small business. And now you said you were editor of the paper? Mm -hmm. Oh, well, I was editor too of my college paper. So yeah, that's, but you didn't get the bug. Well, I think, you know, I liked writing and I think I was so curious about the outside world. I'd you know, gone straight through high school and college, and I was kind of ready to be out there. I was curious about things, and that's why I liked journalism. Mm -hmm. But I also really liked that small team, deadlines, getting something out. Right. You know, that kind of feeling, which really mm -hmm. translates to a little a small business. Oh, too. yeah, definitely. So I feel like that was great training for, you know, and, and I don't know about your paper, but ours, it was all volunteers. So trying to motivate volunteers. It's very hard. To get things <laughs> done. You know, yeah, that was really good practice. So yeah. it was kind of a little play acting at being a, kind of being a boss and, and sort of orchestrating a group of people. So Yeah, and there's always different personalities in play. And we did get paid a little bit, you know, and, I mean, you had a little pizza money, but, right. you know. Right, <laughs> love and experience. Oh, yeah, yeah. Definitely having that on your resume when you graduate, I think, is, is a good thing. So. Yeah, so what did you do after you graduated? Well, I had, you know, most people or a lot of people from my school moved to New York City, and I thought, oh, I could move to New York and get a job for a newspaper or something, and or I could get out there and explore the rest of the country. So I... Drove cross country for about three months and visited other places and realized I wanted to live someplace besides New York State where I'd always lived. So my parents and family thought I was crazy, but I, I ended up moving to Seattle. I had some friends who'd already moved out here. And, and then I temped for a while for various companies, which was fun. And I was just trying to figure it out. Like most people, I think, when they graduate, especially with a liberal arts degree, I didn't have like a linear path for work. Mm -hmm. So um, then I got a job uh, as an intern in the marketing, because of my writing experience, in the marketing department of a graphic design company. 
And I thought, well, this this is cool design. Like, this is interesting to me. I, I had been more of studying art, and I always had been crafty, but I thought, well, professionally, to be able to be somewhat creative, of course, you're always constrained by your customers and clients in a way. Mm-hmm. This is cool. I want to, you know, I'll see what I can do that relates to this, and I don't know what sort of plants to seed. And then I got a job, which was really a turning point, I think, in my career. I worked for 10 years for a company uh, called Remarks, and we made stationary products like bookmarks, primarily bookmarks, and also some wrapping paper and note cards. So, and the company is still very you know, flourishing and exists here in Seattle. And, but it was primarily selling to orders in Barnes & Noble and large stores versus on a sort of a micro scale. Yeah. It's a really small company, mm-hmm. about 8 to 10 people, but selling to like large clients and not really working with the end user. Mm-hmm. So that was amazing training ground. And my boss, Grace, was really wonderful at kind of being open with me about how things worked and when things went wrong. And I just learned it was kind of like getting an MBA, but getting paid for it at the same time. Mm-hmm. So, but then I was like, okay, well, I really want something more hands-on and something where I work with the end consumer. So that was my day job for the first two and a half years of the business I have now. Oh, so you did both. I did both. Yeah. I worked full-time for Remarks and then I, on the weekends I had my store. So that was, I had a crazy couple of years, but I was able to finance everything by doing that. And I don't have any debt. I didn't sort of take any big loans or anything like that, which is what a lot of people do when they open a store. Now, did the people you were working with for your day job, did they know that you were looking to get to open a store and to kind of go that route? Or did they think that Laura's just going home and making some handbags on the side? No, I was open with, yeah. with her about what I was doing. And I initially started off doing, like I said, uh, kind of farmer's markets and that sort of thing. And yeah, I so it did start and, small. Yeah. I started small. And I think, you know... She, my boss probably knew that ultimately I would leave, but... Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not like she supported you. I mean, she, she did. there was she no, did. like, animosity. I mean, she nope. was supportive. Well, that's great. That makes all the difference in the world. Oh, yeah. I was re- I'm really lucky. And she, um, you know, we had generous vacation benefits. So for a couple of years, I used my vacation time to work on my business. And mm-hmm. yeah, I was really lucky that way. So, and just like I said, the things that I learned there, what to do and what, what I wanted to do and how to deal with really basic business things that I think a lot of people who are creative just have no idea when they start a business. I'm really lucky that I have that background. Oh, yeah. A lot of us have ideas, you know, and an idea is one thing. An idea is like half the battle Mm -hmm. because the execution is really the hardest part, you know, and it sounds like you did it very, you know, over a two and a half year period kind of gradually right. changed. And backing up before the five and a half years ago when you started, did you have, like, how were you feeling in your day job? Were you feeling like you needed something more in your life or what led you into the, the handbag business in the first place? What even led you to make your first one and try and sell it? Well, I, I don't know. There's just something that's so satisfying about making something and selling it. I mean, I think it's just that that entrepreneurial thing. I think that making things has always been very satisfying, and I would give you know gifts, Christmas gifts, and that kind of thing. But ha- having actually somebody actually part with their hard-earned money to buy something that you make is just it feels so good, you know. And so I think initially I well, like I said, with my day job, it was a great job and very fulfilling in a lot of ways, and I had a lot of responsibility there. But we weren't really making things hands-on. We were working with vendors and on computers and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And so making something by hand, like actually getting behind the sewing machine, making something and then selling it seemed really different somehow. So you just kind of wanted that connection. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I also, the other thing was I also took, I think like a lot of people interested in so many different media, I would take classes and kind of be just okay, like mediocre to okay at a lot of different things. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, I really want to focus as I neared the age of 30 like, I really want to focus on kind of one thing and get pretty good at it rather than <laughs> right. just, just kind of bad right. at a lot of things. Right, right. 
also I had to kind of, which was hard for me because I always have been interested in so many different things, and I was I always have envied people who, you know, at the age of seven know they want to be a doctor or something. I just yeah. didn't have that direction at all. Do you remember that first bag that you made? I still have a couple of customers who are um, the place where I did the the market is the same neighborhood where I have my store. Okay. So I still have some customers who were some of the very first customers who bought bags. Oh wow! And so I don't remember the bag specifically, but I remember them. And I don't think that they totally know how, like, they're just my heroes that they were willing to part with the initial money for this, you know. And the things, of course, that I made in the beginning, I feel like I've improved my skills a lot then. But they were just willing to shell out their money for something. And yeah. Yeah, it's really, it's, it's, I, it still is a thrill for me. And I remember the first time I saw somebody using a bag that I had made. We were driving down the street, and I saw somebody on a Friday night with a bag over their shoulder, Again, in the same neighborhood, I mean, it made sense I saw somebody there, but, I mean, I freaked out. I was so excited to see somebody actually using something that I had made. <laughs> and uh, I remember yelling, oh, my God, that's a bag I made, you know, to my <laughs> husband, who luckily really gets it, and he's creative, too. So he, yeah. But, um, you know, I was probably kind of like a lunatic a little bit. But, yeah. But, yeah, yeah you're but screaming out a window like, hey, that's my bag. <laughs> know, you stopped yourself short of that, you know. Out, yeah, I, yeah, well, I'm completely the same way. Like, I was just astounded that, like, when I, I looked at your website, I'm like, wow. I'm like, this woman knows knows about me. I mean, how did that happen, you know? I mean, because it's, it's really something else when you put yourself out there and you make something, whether it's like, I mean, I make, I'm making this show now and, and mm-hmm. you're making your handbags. Right. It really is, you know, to me, it's just so I mean, I, I I react like a complete freak though when I see someone that's like wearing a pin that I made. Oh, that? <laughs> I oh, mean, yeah. so I'm like, oh my gosh, you know who I am? I mean, wow, you know. And and then people kind of look at me like, geez, um, you realize you're doing a show, right? And that people might kind of know you <laughs> at yeah, some I point, know. you know? That's kind of weird too. Yeah. <laughs> so I think I might creep people out. Really, I mean, they think, geez, you know, you got to get with it, lady, you know. <laughs> but, uh, well, but the yeah. internet's crazy that way too. I mean, I feel that way about. My website and the, my blog, I mean, people will, oh, I read about this. And, and you're like, huh, what? And they keep you know? visiting you. I mean, like, for example, I have a group of customers who are all doctors. And they tell me that they, you know, they'll be in the emergency room at, like, the big hospital here. And looking at my website, you know, in between, like, bleeding patients or something. Oh, my and, goodness. Yeah. It's pretty cool because they, I think for them, they, you know, sometimes they'll come in their scrubs after working all night and, to come in and like look at pretty colors and things is probably amazing. But I, I sit there going, oh my God, you save people's lives every day. Like that's really amazing to me. Was there like a point where you made like a decision where you sat down and you had this aha moment where you're like, okay, what I need to do, because you said you were into a lot of different crafty and right. already things. Like did you, how did you decide that it was going to be handbags and that's what you were going to do? I wish I remembered a specific moment. I've always made bags because they're fun to make and they're something that you can make and people really use. I'm given them as gifts, and I had a little studio space that I leased that was about 100 square feet. I was working on more kind of art quilts and things like that, and then kind of making bags for friends, and the things people were really responding to were the bags. So, And then in Seattle, there's a great community of these farmer's markets and craft shows and things. It's pretty cheap to do a Sunday market. It's like $35 for a booth. And oh, that is pretty cheap. Even before I knew what I wanted to sell, I kind of knew I wanted to do that, I guess. You're like, I'm getting a booth. I'm yeah, going to figure out what goes in it. And um, so... I did that. Now, I did it for a summer, and I realized that's not what I wanted to do anymore. I really admire people who do that week after week because it's such hard work. And the, the time that you – I mean, because it's outside. Yeah. I didn't want to invest in a tent the first year, so some days I'd be sitting there in the rain just like, what am I doing with my Sunday? Yeah. Um, but it was great first experience because I really saw what people responded to, and, and it was a good little marketing test, I guess. Mm-hmm. 
But then I thought, okay, I need to have a space where I can leave stuff set up. I can leave at the end of the day, lock the door, and go home. Or I can work. If no one shows up, I can I can work on stuff at the same time. Right, right. So um, that was a big realization where I'm like, okay, the handbag thing works. The, the craft shows. I need to, that's not going to work. So this was five and a half years ago. The sort of indie craft thing was just really starting then. Mm-hmm. So sometimes people didn't really understand what I was doing because there weren't that many handbags at shows then. And they tended to be more kind of um, hippie-ish a little bit or not as fashion-driven. Mm-hmm. So I did have some customers who got it, but a lot of people were like, what? I, I don't get it. I'm looking for something. I'm here for a different reason. So I kind of needed to transition to find people who weren't necessarily crafty themselves but would appreciate a made and who were looking for something a little more fashion-oriented. So I think that's a little bit easier now possibly. More people are making purses and, and other kind of things targeted for a younger crowd. Mm-hmm. So there's more of a market than there was then. So that was I had to fumble around a little bit with that. Well, it sounds like your fumbling landed you in a very good place. And... Yeah, it really, it's worked out. I mean, the first weekend I opened the store, no one came in at all. Really? <laughs> and I still had my full-time job. And, you know, I'm not in a high-traffic location. Yeah. So I don't know what I was thinking. But I had worked so hard, and my husband had worked so hard on the space and everything. And I went home and cried, and I was like, oh, my God, what am I doing? Oh, my gosh. So, okay, so you work a full week, and then right. you have your grand opening on, like, a Saturday or something? Yeah. And nobody came? Nobody came. Oh, was, my goodness. It was, a rain, it was late October, rainy Saturday in Seattle. Did you have, like, any – wait, are there a lot – there's a lot of rainy Saturdays yeah, in yeah. Seattle. <laughs> yeah. So but it was just so dreary, and people were home, you know, or whatever. They didn't know we were there. It was just – did there you have any no press at all? Did, I mean, did the press do anything, or did you have any media attention? No, it was so lo-fi. I mean, it was seriously like, here I am. Here's a, a, an old um, sandwich board that I got from a realtor that I, like, spray-painted over. And, you know, it was, like, super low budget. So yeah. it wasn't realistic to think anyone would come by. But And I had, you know, basically no inventory. I mean, it was really small time but you know you have to start somewhere and how did you pick yourself up I mean because you were like building up to this big day and then the day <laughs> comes and then you're devastated what did you do then I just you know I guess knows the grindstone I mean my husband who had worked in the restaurant industry was like listen people don't know you're there it's okay keep going you know he kind of gave me a pep talk I felt really alone like wow I've, I've failed I failed and you know it was temporary though because I, I really liked being there, I really liked being in the space and making things. Mm-hmm. So and I figured, well, I have a website, so I can still market things that way, even if no one actually comes to the store. And I haven't taken a huge financial risk. But I don't know. I don't know why I kept going forward. I just really, really Well, I'm glad to- you did. I'm glad you did. But I'm, and, and, and thank you so much for sharing that. One of the things I find so inspiring when I interview all the people I do is that everybody has a story like this. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, and I think sometimes when you're in the midst of it, like you're at that crossroads and you're trying to figure out what to do next with your life, you think that you kind of invented this problem. Like no one out, I mean, this is so huge and so, oh my gosh, no one's doing, you know, knows what I'm doing or whatever. And it, it's like everyone who's been successful had to take a risk. You have yes. to take that step. You have to, you have to be able to pick yourself up after, you know, you had built up to a day and then the day wasn't as successful as you had hoped, you know, and look what you've done now. I mean, could you take a moment to maybe just fill the listener in on the products you produce are unique and if you can explain to people what you're doing differently then I mean, it's not just a store you walk in and you say okay I'll take one of those you can do that right. but that's not what you I mean that's not what makes your business just unlike any other business I've heard of what happens if I fly into Seattle just just pretend that I had my own <laughs> private jet or something <laughs> and what happens when I come in your store well, when you walk into the store, you see that there are lots of sewing machines set up, and there's fabric and ribbon and buttons and things everywhere, as well as handbags. And then we also do a really brisk business and small gift items as well. 
And so we're really a working studio as well as a retail store, which is fun for us because we get to interact with customers and we get to to sew all day long, which everyone who works there likes. Um, But it's great for customers, too, because basically we specialize in customization. So we have about 50 different bag designs and small. We also make belts and wallets. And customers come in and they choose a shape, so it's a preset pattern, and then they pick all the materials that we use to make the bags. Recently, I've made a lot of bags for people who want something for work that is not a briefcase, that's still fun and cute looking, but Mm -hmm. it's functional for carrying around file folders and that sort of thing. We do a lot of things for brides. They'll pick out purses for their bridesmaids, a, a real mix of things. And we also do custom photo bags, so you can bring in photographs of old family pictures or recent pictures or artists, artistic pictures, paintings, and that kind of thing. We'll make them into purses or wallets. Or, so you're um, just scanning them into the computer? We and scan them in, and then we, yeah, we have various techniques for getting them onto permanently onto fabric. So, wow. So basically, it's, I guess, unique in several ways. First of all, you actually get to interact with the people who are making something that you buy. Which, which is, I think is fabulous. Which is rare. I mean, it happens in the food industry a lot, really, if you think about it, like a sandwich is custom or right. dinner is custom. But right. most things, you go in and... You know, there are 300 or something on a shelf, and you buy it and take it home, and that's not bad. But I think people really are looking for something that's different from that. And a lot of people maybe don't make things themselves or they don't have time, and mm-hmm. so, but they like to support that enterprise. Mm-hmm. And, they, and then there are people who are just, like, nuts about handbags. I didn't know about these people when I started. Oh, yeah, there are people, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but um, even when I was doing the Sunday market and now, I mean, people are just, you know, collect them, and they don't have to fit, and there's something that is really a functional thing to collect. So the idea that they can come in and create something that's completely one of a kind is special for them. So we have probably thousands of fabrics to choose from. And then sometimes customers bring fabrics to us too. Like recently I had a customer who she'd been collecting vintage fabrics. She doesn't even sew, but she just loves vintage fabrics. Mm-hmm. And so she brought in a stack of amazing fabrics and uh, we made a bag for her out of one of her favorites. And so um, kind of transformed something that she had into something that she could, that she had, you know, in a closet, something she could actually use. Wow, that's great. So, so it's really fun because it's really collaborative. We have an area that's like a design area where people uh, pull fabrics out and look at things. And people come in and they're, oh, I'm not creative, I'm not creative. I hear that all the time. But really people, people are. I mean, they know, at least with what they wear, they know what they like, what colors they like. And so I've kind of developed some techniques to help people come up with a, a design that, that they like. And I love it when people come in and they're kind of like nervous or feel like they're not creative and then they leave really excited. That's my favorite. How do you draw people out? Because I, I hear that a lot too where people will say, oh, I can't make anything. I can't pick colors. I'm bad with color. I'm, you know, and, and people, right. I think we're really good to, to label ourselves as being bad at things, you know. Yeah, people oh. get kind of a little bit um, defensive about it or yeah. something. Yeah, yeah. And, well, quite, it depends on the person. It's kind of almost like being a psychologist or something because, you know, I talk to them, and a lot of times it'll be a couple of friends coming in together. Or we have a lot of mother and daughter teams or sisters and things. And so, you know, I ask them what they're looking for, if they're looking for something to use every day or something that's more of a special occasion thing. And so, if, you know, that will lead me in one direction. And then I ask people if they have a favorite color um, or a color that they like to wear. That usually helps. And then the other thing now, like as the seasons change, I usually ask people what their winter coat looks like because a lot of times they're outside carrying their bag, right? you know, with their coat. But it's interesting. It's, it's really kind of fascinating to me how people, people have associations with color. Mm-hmm. And some people think, you know, summer makes them think of pastels automatically or 
some people want things to really match their outfits. Some people don't care. They just they just want something really fun and wild. So mm-hmm. I, I try to, I don't want, I like people to stretch a little bit with what they like, but I don't want them to order something that they come in and then pick up and go like, what was I thinking? Right, because you can't really return it. it. Like a department store where there's 12 of each mm-hmm. kind. And, you know, if these are custom done, I mean, it's not like you can just exchange it quickly for another bag, you know. No, so. once they place the order, they're committed to it. So yeah. I had to decide early on that my policy was that, you know, once you've placed the order, you're, it's yours. You wouldn't be able to survive as a business person if you made it like, oh, well, if you decide in two weeks, you don't want it. <laughs> you right. I mean, it's not Target or Walmart or anything. I mean, this is custom art that's being made. For exactly. And it, and it works out. I mean, I haven't had any complaints about that. And we do have a lot of pre-made bags, too, for people who really um, are leery of, of doing something custom. They can buy something that's already made, too. Mm-hmm. And some people do, take, do do that because... They don't want to be responsible for that result in, in a way, or they like to be able to see it, you know, completed before they buy it. So, so when people pick out what they're, you know, the fabrics and they pick the shape of their bag, mm-hmm. and now are these bags made right there in front of them while they're there, or how? No, they have to wait two to four weeks. We kind okay. of torture people with making them wait, so okay. um, not on purpose, but it just works out that way. Sometimes we can turn things around faster. It depends on what it is, but yeah, so they place the order and we clip little swatches and then they, you know, pay for half of it or the whole thing and then they leave and then we call them and say, your bag's ready. And this summer we've been doing a lot of shipping where people bring out-of-town visitors in. I see. And then it's kind of cool because then they they leave, you know, a few weeks later they get something in the mail that's from their trip to Seattle. Yeah, and that's kind of a a cool souvenir. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, yeah, and the, the, some people are very decisive with making decisions, and some people really, you know, it's, it's, it's hard for them. It's a struggle, and they're, you know, they have to, because sometimes it's just that they see so many cool options, it's hard to commit to just one. Right, um, right. And it, it's led to having a, actually a lot of people who are repeat customers, which is great, because they'll get sort of addicted to it, really. Well, I, the whole concept is, is wonderful. And so how big is your staff? There are four of us total. Okay. Did you know any of these people? Were these friends of yours? Like you said, you had friends that moved to Seattle. I mean, did you know these people that nope. you work with now? Okay. No, they've all, basically the, the people who have really worked out the best, and I, it's a great team. I'm, I'm so lucky to have them. They've kind of found me, really, and those are the people who really want to be there. It's, just, it's a unique job because it's, it's retail, you're dealing with the public, but it's not like regular retail because you also have to know how to sew and help people make Custom, you know, custom decisions, and just that people have to wear a lot of different hats, which I think the people who like working here and who have stayed do. They like that. They like learning about a small business, and they like they're not just selling a product that arrives from China; they're actually making the product that's being sold. So. Right, right. Were you a one-woman show for a while after you made the transition from your day job? Yes, I made everything um, for the first couple years, and then um, Allie, who's worked for me for about three and a half years, she came in and was just like, "I just want, I want to be here. I want to be here. I want to." intern or something and like okay well I'll trade sewing lessons for you helping me here and so she's a paid employee now but initially she started off as an intern and she started cutting for me so that was really great but then I hit critical mass where I was working full-time and I was having a hard time filling orders and I'm like okay I need to figure out how to get some help with production mm-hmm. which was hard initially mentally because I had to kind of like let go and think okay I can't make everything it's, if I'm going to grow it's just not possible mm-hmm so learning how to train other people to make things is, is a totally different skill than just making them Oh, yeah, yourself. it's a definitely so different skill. That's been a pro- an ongoing process, but I think it's gone really well. And the big thing is so much information lived inside my head and didn't live anyplace else that we've really, all of us have worked hard to develop specifications for things and kind of uniformity for things. And, and it's worked well. So Allie's worked for me for three and a half years, and she's part-time. And then Ashley's full-time, and she's been here for two years. 
and then uh, Lydia is my newest employee, and she's been here for a few months, and, and uh, they're just, they're so cool. They're really fun to work with, too, so. Do you have, like, as part of the job interview, is there, like, a sewing test or something? It's hard in an interview to, to really be able to tell what some of the skills are. I mean, I have people bring samples of their work. I'm looking for so many different things. Like, the, the most important thing is the personality. Do I feel like I could supervise them, that we would work well together? Do they understand what the concept of the business is? Are they excited about it? That's more important to me that, than their sewing skills because I feel like I could train those things more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. Um, mm-hmm. And then the personality in terms of working with customers because it's really important to me to have a store that's very down to earth. I can't oh, yeah. going into stores that seem snobby or where people aren't friendly. Or, right. So I think that's been part of our success is that everyone is, who works here is, you know, we treat all of our customers well. We're excited to see them. We have customers who are little old ladies and we have teenagers and so that's like the most important thing in a job interview that that someone's gonna when they walk in that when someone walks in the door that they're gonna feel like they're wow I'm in this cool fun place you know and because it's intimidating for people to come in to do to, to design something you know people are daunted so I just want it to feel really warm and inviting so that's the first thing I look for with personality so some people interview and they have great sewing skills but they just wouldn't be able to work with customers the way I want them to. The trickiest thing is that with samples, I can see if someone, you know, knows how to put something together or is their sewing straight, those kind of sort of basic things. Mm-hmm. But doing um, crafts as a business, time is so important. How long does it take to make something? And a lot of people who sew at home, you know, time isn't a factor. They can take, you know, a week to make one thing. Mm-hmm. And that's part of the fun of working on something on your own. You just don't have to worry about how long it takes you. But it is a business and certain things have to get done a certain time frame. So I can't really tell that until somebody starts. But how much time do you guys spend on each item? Well, the little we have little mini wallets, which are one of our most popular things we make. And the goal is to be able to make five of those an hour. Okay. Then some of the bags take two hours, probably the biggest bags. We do do something semi-production style where Allie will come in and cut all the parts and then we'll kind of split up the sewing a little bit. But because we do things pretty much as one-offs, we, we don't do a total assembly line process. Mm-hmm. So, um, And then there's the time also spent with the customer that sort of has to be sort of part of the, the price of the item too. Mm-hmm. So it's something that I think is really, really hard for crafters to go into business because you, there's the emotional pricing in something. Right. And, of course, people tend to underprice things when they first start. Yeah. Just because it's so satisfying to sell something. But then if you have bills, if you have rent and you have employees or if you want to draw a salary like I do, you you have to think about the cost. And then the other thing is we sell wholesale as well to other stores. So when I think about, okay, I'm going to charge $12 for a wallet in my store, that means I'm going to get $6 from another store. So I still have to have at least a little bit of profit built in. Right. For the, to the wholesale price, too, because you really can't undercut your retailers by selling things for less in your own store on your own website. So. And I don't want to mischaracterize it myself by just going by your website, but what is your price range for your bags? Um, I know it depends. You have tons of – I want people to understand, too, and I'm going to put links to your website. Sure. That you have not just one kind of bag. I mean, there's tons of different bags, but which what is the range of what people spend? The least expensive um, things we make, bags we make, are our wristlets, which are – really, really popular. There I love those. Yes. Small zipper cases that have a bangle that detaches, and that's probably the most popular thing we're making right now. And those start at 24 And then our most expensive bag, which is not on the website because it's a newer shape, is 128 So it's okay. a large bag with lots of pockets, and it's really complicated to make, and it's big. 128 is not cheap for a bag, but if you go to Nordstrom and look at what yeah. bags cost, yeah. you know, it kind of depends on or for a pair of shoes, you know, if you think about the work that goes into it and then you can get something one of a kind, people tell us that they feel our prices are really fair. So I feel good about that. I mean, I want to pay people a fair wage. I want to 
be able to pay my bills, but I also want to be able to appeal to a broad customer base. Yeah, well. and I think the fact that you have such a range that, you know, for, you know, $24, someone can come in and get something. If the 128 is totally out of their range, you know, there's still something people can get. And, and I imagine that the shopping experience is pretty inspiring to just come in and be able to actually see how something's made is really a unique thing because you can't, you go into a department store, and I always, in the back of my mind, anytime I'm in a department store, I can't help but wonder now, like, okay, who made this and, and what is their life like? You know, yeah. and as an American, I think, uh, you know, I, I need to be a little more conscious about that because I think a lot of times we're pretty insulated and kind of callous. Um, and I'm not, I'm not speaking for our listeners here. I'm, I think crafters tend to be a little more aware of sure. these things. But I think just as a society in general, we, I don't think Americans are concerned enough about <laughs> the conditions under which people are making goods that we, we consume. So I think that what you're doing is wonderful because it's kind of giving people a chance to see the process, the creative process, take participate in the creative process, and also you know, just kind of maybe getting them to think a little bit about when they go into another store and they're buying another garment or handbag or whatever about hmm, you know, I wonder what's going into this and should I be supporting this, you know. So congratulations to you to be able to not only have a great idea but to pull it off. Well, I think it's really exciting what's starting to happen, I think, with organic foods and people realizing that people who pick fruit, you know, are exposed to pesticides as well as the health benefits of eating organic foods or buying something that's that's made, that you get something, or with the bags, you know, get something unique. But with organic foods or American apparel t-shirts or a lot of the crafty businesses, I think it's exciting that people are starting to understand that maybe they don't need to have, you know, 30 pairs of shoes. They can have a few nice things. And mm-hmm. It's a really a change of mindset, though, for people to, to think about that. And you can't always do it. I mean, still people are going to need to buy basic clothing or, you know, go to the, the larger chain stores. I mean, oh, sure. Stores too. Yeah, I do too. And so, I, I, I certainly don't have time to make my own clothes. I mean, I'd love to be able to right. do that, but I, yeah, that's not, re- that's not realistic. Yeah. I think that some people are so purist about it sometimes that they, that at least in Seattle, it's a very liberal area, which I really appreciate living here. But mm-hmm. sometimes people are so purist that they feel like it's all or nothing. Like I should be so only shop at independent stores and, you know, only do the, the sort of the best with my dollar that I can. And it's hard financially for people to do that all the time or just sometimes you don't have the options to do that. And so doing it sometimes, doing a little bit, you know, cutting back on some of the consumer um, impulses is, mm-hmm. is better than nothing. It's not an all or nothing thing. Right, so right. I think that's neat that people are realizing. Maybe I'm not, I can't buy all organic food, but I'm just going to buy organic milk because it's better or just doing things incrementally and then realizing how satisfying it is to know where your dollar goes. I think sometimes people think my store is going to be really expensive and then they come in and they go, well, I can get a pair of cute bobby pins for $5 or I can get a birthday gift for $16 and I've seen people come in and then they come back and they're like, wow, I can, this, this can compete with something I could get at, a, at the mall. Mm-hmm. And I love that. And I, that's, I wish that more small boutiques and stores would try to have that same feeling and, and not be sort of exclusive and snobby because it's really satisfying to work in a place where people get excited about that and, and where I can have the high school kids down the street come buy a pair of earrings for their friends for $16 or somebody come buy, like, really expensive bag, too. So, Well, and how do you maintain your enthusiasm about it. You know, one of the concerns that some people have when they're deciding, okay, do I go into business or do I just keep something as a hobby on the side, crafty gig that they do? How have you been able to maintain like, you know, your your focus and your the whole vision that you came into this with in the midst of the stress of just, you know, having to to worry about 
money in a way that you didn't have to when someone else was responsible for your payroll and your health insurance and all that kind of stuff. How have you made that transition and been able to stay pumped up about it? Well, I think it's hard. I mean, you definitely... Um, one makes sacrifices when you go into business for yourself, and I don't think it's for everybody. I think some people, they think it would be really glamorous to work on something that they do for their hobby every single day, but, you know, like yesterday, I didn't sew at all. I mean, I did all paperwork and all non-sewing-related things, so you have to be really going with your eyes open, um, and I feel like I did because I worked for other small businesses, mm-hmm. and I, I, I'm sort of nerdy. I like the business end of it. I like the idea of the commerce part of it, and how it all works together. So, um, And then I think the fact that I do have a retail store and I get to see people come in and get excited is really, really rejuvenating all the time. Um, I think just doing wholesale to other stores, while I, I, that's a great portion of the business, um, you know, buyers, it's a different thing. It is more about money and um, buyers for, for stores. It's more about how much money can I make on this, and, and I understand that, but the end user and seeing somebody come in who's had a bag that they've loved for a year and they're ordering their next bag is just different from someone who's buying something to resell. So mm-hmm. that's exciting, and then um, you know my family and friends have just been really supportive too, so that, that helps. And basically, you know, a big part of my job is I get to buy fabric and ribbon and buttons for a living. So guilt-free, yeah. It's pretty, that's yeah. pretty awesome because I'd be buying that stuff anyway. So when I do, it is kind of funny, but when I do something, you know, making me grumpy, if I go to the fabric store and look at materials, it just makes me really happy. And I can think of all the potential new things to make, and that's, that makes me kind of move forward too. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I find the best inspiration in bookstores, libraries, and, you know, among fabric and yarn, you know, just yes. kind of to be inspired by all the creative ideas out there. So, it, and this added legitimacy to your, your stash then. So, you, yeah, have, a, oh, you, have, a leg, you have a legitimate stash. And sometimes I feel sort of like, you know, guilty, like, oh, do I really need to buy more things? And then someone will order a bag out of a fabric that I've bought, and I'm like, see, I'm justified. I should go buy more fabric, you know. <laughs> so, when I first started, I thought I would buy you know, um, bolts of fabric wholesale and, and just have, like, lots of one of a smaller number of fabrics. But now I just buy things, like, a yard or two at a time, and just that way I have the, the broadest selection. And, oh, really? Um, so you do you go to regular fabric stores then? I buy a lot of the um, kind of basics, like the vinyl that we use and the interfacing and lining wholesale. But the prints and the, the, the unique fabrics I buy mostly retail because it's, to buy a whole bolt of fabric is quite expensive, and to get you know it doesn't take very much fabric to make a bag. Right, so, right. And you know customers like that because they think, wow, I'm going to get something that's sort of a limited edition too. There won't be too many things made out of this fabric. So, mm-hmm. well, that's that's interesting. So it kind of gives us a glimpse into what you can do. So uh, around Seattle, people might be in line next to Laura B. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I know all the people at all the fabric stores and everything too. It's pretty it's pretty fun to yeah. Recently, in my neighborhood, a fabric store closed, and it was really sad. It was a Hancock, and people had worked there for 20 years, and one of the employees stopped into my store, and so this, this neat community of people who are addicted to fabric, it's, you know, it's a special breed. It's like a little subculture, so it's fun. Now, you said your husband is a huge supporter of what you're doing. It sounds like it'd be probably impossible to, um, I mean, to do this without support, you know, from family. So, um, did you, is this a gentleman that you met out in Seattle, or did you guys, did you come out to Seattle with no, him? Or? we met here, and he at the time was a, he's a, I'm pretty lucky, because he was a professional chef, 
Um, oh my goodness, you are lucky. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then he, um, since we met, he went back to school and he is now uh, a woodworker and a contractor. So he has his own business as well. Oh, wow. So, which has been great because he, he's maybe some wood purse handles, but the big thing is he, you know, works on the store and helps me when, if I need to display, he'll make something or if I need a rack to store my vinyl on or whatever, he'll make it. And plus he just understands that creative impulse. So he's been a great sounding board too, because you know, when you put yourself out there, and like I mentioned when I came home and cried, you know, you really, I think people who go out and sell something that they make, I mean, you're putting yourself on the line in a way. And sometimes, most people are really great about it. Sometimes people can be rude or, you know, various th- bad things, setbacks can happen. So to have somebody who you can come home to and rant or who will boost yeah. you back up is really important. So I feel really lucky. Yeah. Yeah. My husband is fantastic. I, I'm to the point where, you know, I'm trying to figure out my next creative move here. Yeah. And, you know, he's been really supportive of helping me even get the show started. I mean, I couldn't have done it by myself. So, mm-hmm. yes, I mean, that is so important to have, whether it be a friend or, a you know, a family member or somebody, we all need somebody in our life, at least one person that's going to be able to help us get pick ourselves up when mm-hmm. total devastation <laughs> seems to be whatever that is. You know, some, usually it's not as devastating as it seems at the moment but right right but, but we need yeah, yeah but you need that person to help you kind of dust yourself off and get back out there so another thing is about my husband is that because he did catering he's a chef so he knows a lot about production actually oh yeah so he's really helped me with one christmas i had this private label thing i was doing for a like a print catalog and i had they marked the product up like you know five times so i didn't think they were going to sell any well i was <laughs> in denial i guess and we got so many orders that I didn't know how, I basically had a breakdown, and I was like, how am I going to fill these orders before Christmas, and I was still working full-time, and it was just insane, and he really helped me break down the numbers of how much time, how many people do we have to hire, how much stuff should we order, it was all a learning curve for me, and so that was really helpful to have somebody calmly walk me through that, so. Yeah, and so you made, you filled all the orders? We filled all the orders, and that was the catalyst for me being able to quit my job, actually I reduced it to about 10 hours a week, so it was, it ended up being a really good thing, but it was scary, because it was going from zero to 60 really, really fast. Yeah. And with Christmas, you know, people really get, they they freak out. I mean, they want things to get there on time, and things are very important, and they have attachment to these gifts, which is a good thing, but it's a bad thing if you feel like you can't actually get them to them. You know, so did time, you so. end up raising your, I mean, did that also give you the boost to, like, price your work appropriately if, I mean, if they were able to raise your price, like, five times and sell these things, did well, you? Well, unfortunately, these larger companies, they, did you get the money or markup? So did, did they get? They took the markup, not you, or right? Had, oh, so oh, I geez. had quoted them a price. Thankfully, I had quoted them a price that still allowed me to have a margin. So, okay. Which the, the really scary thing when that happened would have been if I had underbid it and then. Can I, you imagine? We, we made about five hundred units, and then I had lost money. Oh god. So I didn't personally recoup any money from it, but I was able to put profit back into the business and pay the people I had to bring in to help. Yeah. Because um, the product. They sell for, there's one that they sell for $89 and one they sell for 99 and I was making in the low 30s on it. So people don't realize that when you buy something at a big, like a big chain store, a lot of times it's more than 100% markup. So Wow. Yeah. Well, that's something to think about. Too, yeah. You know. I mean, which, you know, as, as long as you price things wholesale, you just, I, I guess you just can't get attached to the money somebody else is making on here. No, it's wholesale. Do you find that most people, because I, I think there's a lot of people listening at home that might think, oh, I'd like to do some wholesale work with whatever they're making. Is wholesale usually 50% or? Is um, there... That's the sort of traditional model. I mean, for example, so we, I have a recommended retail price, that, which is what's on my website. 
I'm noticing a lot of stores are marketing my stuff up more now. And it's expensive, especially to run a small store. I mean, you have to have – people don't people sometimes get a little offended with that kind of markup, but there's the rent, there's the time spent sort of – Well, there's the shipping costs shipping, and all that, too. And just having – you know, when, when I, it always is amazing to me because my model's so different. When I walk into a small boutique and I see, well, here's thousands of dollars worth of merchandise, and here's somebody working, and they're, like, reading a magazine. So – with us, we're always working, so we're always making inventory, so it's more efficient right. know, financially that way. Right. But so they have to sort of have that thousands of dollars of merchandise sitting there, and so they have to fund that somehow. So that's where that margin comes in, as well as rent. And, you know, a lot of times boutiques are in really high rent areas. And so I think it's, I think that, but it is important for people to realize, crafters to realize that that's the markup, at least 100%, and that they cannot, they should not underprice. When they have their website, they should use the same price that they ask their stores to use. How long did it take you to be able to actually draw a salary from your business? I've been profitable for, so I've had the store for four years, and it's been profitable for three, but I didn't start drawing a salary. So by profitable, it means I made money, but then I reinvested it into the business. Right, generally. right. So, and then I didn't start really drawing a salary until the last two years. Okay. And are you are you able to pay yourself at least what you made when you were someone else's no. employee? No. Okay. No, I mean, I pay myself and I'm able to live on what I make, but I worked at my other, I was generously paid at my other job and I worked there for 10 years. So it was definitely a financial sacrifice, but you know, I'm willing to make it. I love going to work every day. And Well, that's the thing that you can't really put a price on that. As long as you're able to pay for what you need to pay for, mm-hmm. you know, you can afford a home and, a, and food. <laughs> right. You know, I mean, I think that is, you know, that's just wonderful. And you sound so happy. Yeah. I think that makes, I mean, that that's it. That's it. What is your vision for, you know, th- we're, you're to the five and a half year mark here. What about the next five, five, ten years? Wh- what do you want to see happen at your business? Well, the some exciting things are happening right now that I think will lead to new things. We have been in the same space for four years. I'll be celebrating the four-year anniversary of the store in October. And recently, we were able to sign a lease on the the rest of the building. So it was a, it's a small, pretty ugly little building, commercial building with two apartments upstairs and then two commercial spaces downstairs that used to be one commercial space. So we're going to tear down the wall between the two spaces and double our floor space. Oh, awesome. Which is really great. It's going to be, instead of being about 600 square feet, it's going to be about 1,200 square feet. And so it's going to allow us to grow in a lot of ways. We'll be able to, to have more merchandise on display. There are niches I want to move into that I haven't really been able to feel like I could merchandise them very well. Like what, to, what kind of niches? Like I want to do custom dog collars. Oh, yeah. And um, I would like to do some things for babies. It's a, there's a big baby boom happening in, in this neighborhood. And, and then also be able to carry more. We have we do carry jewelry and other lines in the store, things that we don't make. Mm-hmm. And I'd like to be able to add more. Now that we have a, a big customer base, I mean, relatively speaking, big, the more product I can display, the more people will buy, I think. Oh, yeah. Well, if they're in there, and they're especially tourists coming from out of town, yeah. uh, while they're waiting to pick out some samples, there might be, yeah, it's an opportunity for you to yeah. branch out. We do. One thing that's been sort of a surprise is a big niche for us is like just birthday presents. People come in. We do free gift wrap, and people come in, and they'll buy birthday and Christmas gifts that really have nothing to do with our custom bag. They'll buy a lot of small goods, mm-hmm. which is great, and it's really fun for us to be able to order other things and have um, some handmade things and some non-handmade things for sale, but things that just kind of match the sensibility of the store. So that's great. And then we're going to be able to have much more design space because right now it's really because of my fabric buying addiction. (laughs) I pretty much have fabric in every corner. And sometimes when people are sitting on the floor going through fabric or something, I'm thinking, okay, this is totally unprofessional. It needs to be displayed better. And 
more conducive to more people designing at the same time. So that will be fantastic. We have purse parties where people bring their friends. Yeah, I read about those. And so uh, they have the same fun. for themselves. And so when in the bigger space, we'll be able to have more people, you know, designing as well. And we we've done a couple of kind of corporate um, purse parties where people where companies have done thank yous for their employees or their customers and come in and. That's really great for us because it helps people know we're here, and then they, they usually the company pays for a portion of what they design, so it's really nice financially for us as well. And then I'd really like to be able to have some kind of craft classes. I really made a decision early on that I was going to go towards the not having the crafter be my customer base as much as the people who want who are more fashion oriented and are interested in design, but maybe don't make things themselves which I think was a really good decision to try to reach a broader base. Mm-hmm. But I'd like to be able to have some just really simple, come with your friends, you know, make some earrings or make some really simple projects and have it be kind of a party atmosphere. And we haven't been able to do that, again, because of space limitations. So that's going to be a great thing with the new, with the new space as well. So, so that you're going to branch out besides sewing, have people come in and make other types of things. That will be yeah, fun. Yeah, I think it would be really fun. Training employees has made me realize I enjoy teaching, but I don't really have time to go, like, find teaching things or, you know, with, through, through, through schools and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So doing it on site I think would be really fun, and it would just, again, help people know we're here and come check out the store. And so I think that would sort of the immediate plan for the future. And then long term, I don't know. I mean, it's, you know, the expansion, how to expand a business is always really tricky because you can overexpand and kind of lose what your original premise was, mm-hmm. you know. And so do I think, do I want another location? But I don't know. I like the smallness of it. So I haven't really figured out the long term, I guess. I've tried to really grow organically and not make any huge leaps before I felt like we were ready because that I'm not a high roller with risk and I want to know that the business is there before I take the risk. So some sort of huge growth situation is probably not going to happen. It's not really my style, I don't think. I think I read somewhere, I don't know if it was on your blog or um, somewhere, that you might want to expand to another location. Yeah, I've thought about doing probably not another working studio. I have thought about maybe having a smaller store in a higher traffic retail area. Oh, I see. So it would be more like... orders and Because I feel like I've really... And the gift part of portion of it has really grown so much that it'd be kind of nice to have because we're kind of off the beaten path a, a bit that would be that would be fun but then I think about the management of it and I think okay is that really the best use of my time would mm-hmm. I still be able to sell it all as we grow that's kind of always my little thing I think about like I don't want to just be the manager I like to be able to be to sew and design too so how so. often do you get to sew I try to sew every day although sometimes I have to I'm you know do paperwork and do some of the dry things when I when I used to so everything, I didn't have enough time to come up with new designs, and I realized my time is really well spent when I can come up with new products. So I do production still on the larger bags that we do, mm-hmm. and then I design all the patterns. So right now we're heading towards Christmas, so I won't be working on design anymore, but then in the spring and summer I usually try to, do, to make new shapes. So I try to, and sometimes I'm, if I'm just like overwhelmed by sort of the big picture, I'll sit down and make a bunch of wallets, and that's really fun for me because it's very tangible. Like, here I am, I'm making them, it's concrete, they're finished. Right. So, um, and then a lot of my time is spent working with customers, doing kind of the sales and design portion of the program because um, I really love doing that, and I feel like that's kind of, that's a big part of my role, so. And and it sounds like, too, you know, you, it's it's cool that you're still involved in the sewing of it because I think a lot of times people grow so fast and before they know it, they blink and they're just doing the business side of right. it, you know. And so it sounds like um, that has been, you've been very successful at being able to strike a balance 
and find... I really try to. Yeah, I mean, it's it's uh, it's hard sometimes, but um, it's been really it's been a really good thing for me to delegate some things to employees because um, it's it's I think it's made our product improve because we have more um, we're more rigorous about having being really consistent with things like really basic things like seam allowances and thread color and all those little details that I just used to kind of wing wing it a little bit more on, mm-hmm. and um, and then it just allows us to. Because we have to keep growing. I mean, I can't. At the point where I am now, I'm drawing a salary and paying my bills. But we need to grow a bit more to really be a more solid business. I, you know, some growth for growth sake isn't important to me. But to be able to always have enough cash flow to have inventory and have enough for people to choose from, I, I'm looking for some growth in that area. And how many hours are you putting in right now per week? You know, I don't really count. <laughs> um, it seems like not that many compared because when I used to work full time and then um, come here, I, I mean, it was like ridiculous. I had a, I had a year which was really hard, where it was like the critical mass year of being like, okay, I'm totally exhausted, I'm cranky, you know, I'm, I'm not happy, I need something has to give. And now that I'm doing this full time, um, it feels I don't like know, you've I, actually I don't cut, cut the hours. So. It probably feels like you've actually cut back. I, it does. Yeah. It does because I, I am able to, and I have great employees, so I can take a vacation occasionally. But you know, I'm pretty much always thinking about it. I mm-hmm. mean, you know, if I'm not at work, I'm still still thinking about work. Which you know, because it's the thing of making your hobby or your passion your work. It's that's always what you do. I don't really have other hobbies now. Like mm-hmm. I do it all the time. So. Mm-hmm. Well, that's great. That's really great. And it sounds like you're a pretty cool boss too, because um, at Christmas time when sales are up, it sounds like you pass on the bone. You 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 uh, try to channel some of that bondage onto your employees. I was reading in your yeah yeah some information you sent here. That's that was kind of my a cr- um, husband's idea actually. Um, that was part of that whole crazy Christmas, and um, you know when we we're figuring out okay how many people do we need and and uh, all the different sort of number-crunching part of it. And I guess in the food industry, sometimes they do that. They'll do a seasonal bonus, and I'd never heard of that before. But it's, it's great because everyone has to work harder, and everyone, you know, wants more hours. And it's um, really motivating for people to be able to share in the wealth, so to speak. And mm-hmm. so we look forward to Christmas because it's an intense time work-wise, but it's really fun, too, because we think – um, you know, we think about all the people who are going to be opening presents on Christmas morning that are things that we made. But, you know, I want everyone to, uh, to I don't, I can't pay people a ton. I mean, no one, including me, is getting rich on it. But hopefully other things make it worthwhile to be here, to work here. And, and we have a good time. You know, we have a lot of fun. So. Yeah. And I don't know how comfortable, I know a lot of, you know, depending on how comfortable you are when you're talking about money, but um, I try to paint the most realistic picture for folks possible. But when someone goes out on your own, when, when you go out on your own and you're you're making, you know, whatever you're making, is this something like how much can people expect to, to make when they go out, um, you know, on their own working in a you know, job? Because I mean, a lot of times the first year I hear it's pretty standard that people don't pay themselves. Right. You know, I know there's a yarn shop that opened here in Grand Rapids that, um, the owner is not, she has employees, but she's not paying herself, you know, at this point, she's yes. paying other people to keep them coming to work. But, um, you know, I had employees before who I paid before I paid myself when I was still working at my other job. I realized that my hourly rate at my other job was more than I could get myself from my, from my own business, mm-hmm. but I needed to, to sort of start growing before I could pay myself. Mm-hmm. I think it's important for people to really number crunch. I mean, and figure out what you can live on and if you can give up some of the luxuries. Um, I'm trying to, I don't really have – and the way it works, too, I'm set up as a sole proprietorship. I'll probably incorporate next year, but 
you know, taxes are uh, heavier when you're a sole proprietorship than when you're an employee. You have to pay a self-employment tax too on any profit that you make. Oh, geez, that makes so, it a lot harder. So you have to really, if you make if you make fifty thousand dollars at a job, and you take home and you have a profit of fifty thousand dollars in a business, you're actually making less money. So I mean, there's some advantages. You can deduct more things too. But that was that's kind of a rude awakening for people, I think. Because they think, um, oh, if I can make fifty thousand, then I yeah yeah. yeah. So um, and. So I don't really know how much I make a year until after Christmas because yeah. I pay myself as little as I can during the year and then based on the holiday season, it's really true in retail, that's when you, you kind of tread water all year round. Yeah, well, it sounds quarter like quarter your your husband is employed too. I mean, he has a business um, too. Was he working, did you have some kind of benefits or, or when you made that change? You know, no, made we the both change? always paid for our own health insurance. Okay, so you've always had to do that. So yeah, home. so we're really in it together with those things. Yeah. I had a lot of money saved. Or not a lot, but I mean, I had some money saved. Enough to, yes, you weren't. For my job. Yeah. I've always been kind of frugal, I guess. So. Yeah. But, I mean, I feel really lucky to be able to make something and make a living on it. And, and Seattle's not a cheap place to live, but we were able to buy a house. So, I don't know. I think it's important that people price their, with their work high enough, too. And, and certain things, like you were saying, you know, weaving is very time-consuming. Certain things, like I could, would not be able to make a bag that has, you know, 80 pockets. Like some bags that you can buy at Target for right. fifty dollars, it's just not possible. Right. Sometimes people don't understand that they come in and ask, "Can you make me something?" And it's just it has to be you have to make money on things. It's just a reality, and so that can be hard, I think, for artists and crafters to kind of realize that they certain things would be really cool products, but you can't make a profit on them. So. Mm -hmm. That might be shifting. People are still reluctant to pay. I think what things are worth. Although I have, I think it's true, and I think part of that's the context of the the sort of craft market. Sometimes people are looking for bargains, which I find really annoying. <laughs> but um, somehow having a store, when I have raised prices, I haven't really found that it's affected sales as much at all, which has been good. I mean, I have just done small incremental increases, and I always try to have things that are under twenty dollars in the store too. Right, right. But but I I don't know. I feel like some of it's just confidence. Like I think this is worth something, and this is what it costs. And I think it's starting to change, but I think other crafters, uh, and I've learned this myself, should really should support and buy things from people who make things rather mm -hmm. than always being like, I could make it myself. Right. Realize right. that you could make it yourself, but are you really going to spend the time to sit at the craft market or do the work to, to figure it out? And all the other things that go into it make something really valuable. So as I have less time to make things for myself, I realize that I'm going to go buy a hat from somebody or a skirt from somebody and really value the, all that goes into that, that person making the, that item. Does that mm -hmm. make sense? Hopefully it does. <laughs> With Etsy and some of these other online places where you, and just people's personal websites where they're selling things, mm -hmm. I think a lot of times they find that people they're selling you know, their items to are other people who make things. So right. we seem to appreciate you know what other people like us are making. You know, so it's, I think that's great. Yeah, and Etsy didn't exist when I started, but what a, what a great thing for people to sort of dip their toe in the water without really get, incurring a lot of overhead. Yeah, that's yeah, fantastic. it's pretty phenomenal to see where that's gone. And, and I've, found, I've actually found some good crafters that I, whose work I sell in the store actually through Etsy. I look at that site all the time. And, oh, that's and cool. So it's, it's a great resource, too, Yeah. for me. So, Well, who inspires you for your designs and your work that you do? Um, I, well, all different places. I mean, I think that the people I work with, my employees, we all have really, we're different ages and we have different kind of styles and interests. So I'm always, I always get ideas from, from them. For example, Ashley's 24 and I'm going to be 35. So her taste is totally different. And so it's fun to see what she's interested in and what she's excited about, what her friends are excited about. I do look at some fashion magazines, although I try not to be 
really trend-driven, but I love color. Even when I was a little kid and I did weaving, color has been pretty much something that, through all the different things I've done, has been really important to me. So I like to read about color theory and, and look at things in nature and fabrics. And Because a lot of the way we, we do design is we look at something that's already, like, made, like a fabric that's a print that has several colors in it or a ribbon, and then we extract colors from those things that are already created. Mm-hmm. And so it's really, I just love seeing different color combinations and how they work and what people gravitate towards. And I love uh, painting and, and fine art too. I like to go to art galleries and art museums and, and just kind of soak things in, soak, soak things up. Although now I find myself when I go to art museums and art galleries looking at people's bags and seeing what they're carrying too. Because <laughs> yeah. I like to see, I like to see people's sort of habits with um, what they carry in size of bag and color and shape and what they have in them and kind of not because I want to copy them, but just to see what people are using. That gives me a lot of inspiration, too. Yeah, I was hoping to get to Renegade in Chicago, and I ended up not able to, to go at the last minute. I, I bought this gigantic backpack just because I thought that I was going to be making this trip and with all my recording stuff in there. Right. What I found is the bigger the bag that I have, the more I fill it. Yeah. Because it was intended for this trip to Chicago, but I've carried it to work with me every day this last <laughs> week, which I can't really explain. <laughs> but so, yeah, for me, I, I'm, a, I'm a bag lady. I've always been. So. Oh, yeah. Some women come in the store. I'm with you, and I always have a book or a notepad or something. Well, I always have a project in there. Yeah. Um, Some women come in, though, and they have these little teeny purses with, like, their phone and their wallet and their keys. Yeah, and I'm just like, where's your stuff? It's unbelievable to me. I know. <laughs> Yeah, because I would have like the the wristlet with like you know maybe some money in it, but I usually have my money in my pocket, so I that wouldn't even I'd probably have some business cards in there or something, right? And then like that would be like on my wrist, or it would be in my bigger bag, yes. and I'd be searching around for the wristlet with the that's supposed to be conveniently located on my wrist. It was designed for right. organization, but it would be I'd be going through pillaging through this bag. Yeah, I'm just and I know that's just something I'm never gonna get. I don't think I'll ever get it together as far as my personal organization of my project stuff because I always know it's with me. It's somewhere in the bag. Sometimes I, you know, I'm not that, I'm too proud to dump out my bag if I need oh, to. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's, an, it's embarrassing. I mean, that is definitely my biggest struggle is stuff, managing stuff and managing organization. And luckily my employees are really kind to me about it and they help me with it a lot because I think when you're crafty, at least for me, I always see the potential in everything. And yeah. I hate to throw things away. Yeah. And now that I have a business, I have to save all my receipts and that sort of thing. So I always have just little things in my pocket, things in my bag. It's really, and as a handbag designer, I feel like I should have a high standard of organization in my purse, but I don't really measure up to that. So yeah. So um. So what's how 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 much stuff do you put in your? What are you carrying right now? I mean, do you have? What did you bring to work today with you? Is it a Laura B? Yes. Usually, I always I made a rule for myself that I couldn't carry any other bags because people inevitably say, oh, did you make that? And if it has to be something I made, you know. I right, made, if you say, actually, no, I didn't. It's awkward, yeah. <laughs> so, but what I, what I normally carry is uh, prototypes. So whenever I make a new shape or a new design, I always carry it and try to beat it up as much as I can and see what, what gives out and what, where the wear and tear happens. Mm-hmm. So, and I, I'm not one of those people who changes my bag every day. Like some No, I can. don't. I, I don't have time. Mm-mm, I don't no. have time so for that. Some people change bags like shoes, and I really admire that. And those, are, those people tend to be great customers. I tend to wear the same bags. shoes, too. Yeah, I know, I know. It's, isn't that funny? I, I think about it, too, because I feel like, okay, I have to look at least semi-fashionable at work because people are coming to me sort of for advice on things. Right, because fashionable people are coming in, right? Yeah, Looking but it's not, it's not my forte. And right. And another thing where my husband was like, it's okay when you see designers on the runway, they're always wearing like a T-shirt and jeans. That's true. Like, That's I'm just true. much more interested in, in stuff that has something to do with what I'm wearing, really. But anyway, um, so, yeah, so I'm always carrying a sample and testing it. 
and it usually has too much stuff in it, I, and usually larger. And then I have another computer bag, and yeah, so I'm a bag, I'm a bag lady too. It's, it's bad, but it's just so great to hear the story of how you've been able to just kind of make that transition from employee to employer and be so just happy and inspired every day that you go to work to create new things and you know it's it's wonderful and your work is fantastic so we'll refer everyone to your website oh, thank you thank you i feel really lucky to be able to do what i'm doing i, I feel lucky to have customers who are willing to buy the stuff because that's you know otherwise it would be i would still be doing it at home on the weekend so yeah well obviously it's it's you're doing i mean it's good stuff otherwise you would still be home on the weekend struggling <laughs> along you know not yeah. to say that people who are doing that it's bad stuff <laughs> i gotta be careful here but um you know that's an no. indication that you know people have have supported it and they're buying it and that's wonderful do you ship these all around the world we do, and people come in and uh, buy things in the store and then ship them around. I love hearing stories of, of where they're going. Um, we've had orders on the Internet from the U.K. and Australia, and then a lot of um, customers come in, like I said, and then send them to friends in Holland and where else, Japan. And a lot of people come in in the summertime and buy bags to take on trips, which is so fantastic because I'm thinking, oh, at least something I made is getting to travel around the world, you know. Wow. Yeah, that's really fun when you think about it. And then people come back and tell you the stories of where they've been. And, yeah, you know. it's really cool. Yeah. Our well, customers have, are so generous. It's made me a much better customer, actually, because I realize that when you, say some, when you compliment somebody on a job well done, the simplest task, oh, my gosh, it just makes their day. And, and people – and I don't think I ever used to go into a store and say – what a great place, and I love this place, and look at these cool things you're doing. I, don't, I think I would keep that to myself more, mm-hmm. and people do that, and uh, it's really, I'm really thankful for that because it, it keeps us motivated. And, like, now when I go into the grocery store, if somebody takes the time to bag my groceries and, it really, you know, really take time to bag them well and separate things, and I'm like, thank you for bagging those so nicely instead of just tossing them in the bag. I mean, all those things that people take the time to do in their daily life um, Mm -hmm. that are kind of thankless. You know, they don't get the appreciation for those simple tasks, so... Well, and I think a simple compliment like that can really turn someone's day around, too. Oh, it does. You know, because I think sometimes, you know, people are doing jobs that, you know, if you're in a food service or something, they're doing something that you might not want to think of as a career, you know, uh, making subs at Subway or something. Right. But you're doing it, and, and people can be so rude, especially when it's about concerning food and how many slices of ham did you put on there? I wanted three, you know, or whatever, you know. Right. And it's like people can be so mean to these people who are doing a job. I mean, they're they're trying to, you know, put food on the table just like the rest of us. And so. Yeah, I think putting good karma out and complimenting, mm-hmm. you know, whether it be a craft store or a food, you know, fast food place, it's great advice. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day because as a small business owner, I know how important two hours can be So I, I mean, for you. I mean, so I appreciate that. I'm very thankful that you took time from your day as well, and uh, it's been great fun to talk to you. Well, thank you, Laura, for sharing your story. I really appreciated that, and I hope all of you at home enjoyed it as well. And don't forget to check out craftsanity.com for links to Laura's website, blog, and that fabulous PDF I told you about. You're going to like it. And also, I need to extend a special thanks to Sharon in Texas for making a donation just the other day to Craft Sanity. I really appreciate that. Also, just a thank you in general to all of you who listen and send me fabulous show suggestions. I really do appreciate those. I'm having a great time talking to people so thank you for all your support and your interest gotta update you i did get a chance to meet with drew Mborski. he's known as the crochet dude we met at the respite coffee house in douglas michigan which isn't too far from my house it was you know about 40 miles 
in the car. No big deal. I love the Saugatuck Douglas area, so that was fun to get over there. I had some hot chocolate and visited with Drew and his friend Maggie, who lives in the area and was hosting Drew while he was in town for his fabulous photo shoot for his latest batch of patterns that he'll be selling soon. He's great. He's a really nice guy. Uh, I was expecting that he'd be a nice guy because I interviewed him for episode 15 of the Craft Sanity podcast. So if you're interested in hearing his story and you haven't heard that episode yet, uh, check it out in the archives on the website or find it through iTunes as well. It's really kind of interesting to hear how he's trying to ramp things up, too, in his career. So I wish him the best. Thank you, Drew, for inviting me to uh, meet with you at the respite. That was fantastic. And the people there are great. Sam, the owner, was a lovely man. And also Jane Mayer, who works there, was working the counter when I arrived on Saturday afternoon. I really loved something she said to me right as I was leaving. We were talking about how important it is that you find the thing you love and you do it. She said, this isn't a dress rehearsal. You only get to do it once. And she's talking about life. And, you know, I just think that was a profound statement. That's what I'm trying to do. That's really what, and I think that's, you know, it's, it's, it's hard sometimes because we put things off and think, oh, maybe in a year or two. But, you know, we never know what's going to happen in a year or two. So, and I'm just impatient. <laughs> so I like what Jane said because I want to do everything right now too. I have an interview coming up next week. A little different than what I normally do on the show. I'm going to bring you an interview with Janice Taylor. She is the author of Our Lady of Weight Loss. She has a great web presence and she sends out a newsletter. And she basically crafted her way to a, a very spelt exterior. And she did it through crafts. She used crafting to lose weight. And I, when I first heard about this, I thought, oh, for Pete's sakes, you know, come on. <laughs> That's the cynical journalist side of me. But then, you know, I, I got her book and I was looking at this and I thought, you know, there's, there's something to this. And so next week, I'll bring that interview to you and we're going to be giving away a copy of her book. I think that covers it. I hope you guys have a fantastic weekend and next week you get some great crafting done. And I'll be back on Friday. In the meantime, craft sanity, my friends. It works for me. Thanks for listening to the Craft Sanity Podcast with Jennifer Ackerman Haywood. Visit CraftSanity.com for more information about today's guest and links to subscribing to the podcast. Want to support the show? Follow the link to vote for Craft Sanity on Podcast Alley once a month. You can also make a donation or buy goods at the Craft Sanity store. Have a suggestion for a future guest or have other feedback? Email Jennifer at CraftSanity.com. Thanks again for listening to Craft Sanity.